Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, morning to you. Hey, before we get into our message, uh, let me just say a quick word about our upcoming baptisms on both January 22nd, and then we do another one on March 5th. Uh, we see a lot of people get baptized uh, almost every month here. And if you haven't been baptized yet as a believer in Jesus, we would love for you to do that. I highly encourage you to do so. You know, the Bible talks a lot about a baptism, and it tells us that each of us, Each and every one of us are to partake, be a part of baptism after we make a decision to believe in Christ. It's what we say all the time here. When you watch people get baptized, we say that baptism is this important symbol for the Christian that our faith in Jesus has washed away our sins. It's so important that Jesus even commands us to do it as Christians. And we wanna be obedient to our Lord in that. So if you've been waiting to do it, thinking about doing it, Uh, This is the time to sign up. You can sign up uh, on our website, on our app, uh, out in the lobby. I just, as your pastor, I really want to encourage you, put away any excuses that you have for it. Because there are a lot of them you can have for baptism. Like sometimes, actually probably the most popular one I hear is people say, I'm just not ready for it yet. I want to be more ready. I just want to tell you, baptism is actually about the opposite of that. It's about the fact that you you, you weren't ready, and, and Jesus loved you anyway, right? And so you just, you just want to go. Sometimes people say, well, the conditions just aren't right, and I want this and this. It's just, it's an obedience issue. You know, in this book, lots of times when people come to faith, they get baptized even the next day, okay? And, and then the third excuse that I, I hear a lot, and this is kind of a tough one. I think this is tough, especially in our sort of upper Midwest culture, is sometimes people, I think, really wrestle with the idea of, I was baptized as a baby, and so what do I do with that? And I just want to tell you, personally, I was baptized as an infant. Um, I think my parents had great intentions in that and what they knew, but the truth is, what this book tells us, what the Bible tells us, is baptism is something that you do after you put your own faith in Jesus, because it's a symbol of what happens when you do that. And so it never in this book does it teach about baptizing infants. And so because I read that, I decided that I needed to do what baptism really was and get baptized as a young adult after I became a believer. And so I wanna encourage you to be faithful even to that. Even if that's hard or feels different, I wanna encourage you to be faithful to that. So sign up today uh, and we would love to have you be a part of that, okay? All right, thanks for letting me do that. Let's get, uh, let's get into our message. Uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Colossians, uh, which is a letter from the Apostle Paul. It's really a letter from one of Christianity's earliest leaders to one of Christianity's uh, earliest churches. That's the church at uh, Colossae. So let's, let's dive right into it. Everybody grab a Bible. There's Bibles under uh, the chair in front of you. Uh, we'd love for you to just get that out. We're gonna be on page 806, uh, Colossians chapter three. At this point in the letter, Paul is gonna get very, very uh, practical. He's giving, in a sense, kind of for the rest of chapter three and really most of chapter four, he's giving them a roadmap for how these new Christians can live a life like Jesus. So let's take a look. So chapter three, you're gonna find that big number three and then the small number five is uh, where we left off. Okay, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Okay, we don't talk like that anymore, by the way, in America, but we say that all the time here, that sin brings justice, and God is a just judge. This is a real thing, okay? All right, verse seven, you used to walk in these ways, 
in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Okay, let's pause there for a bit. What, what we're going to read in this broader passage today, so really verse 5 to uh, 17, are really uh, instructions on what the Bible calls sanctification. In fact, I want to just cover briefly here two theological terms, terms of theology, that are helpful for you to know uh, as, a, as a Christian. So theology, by the way, just means study of God. So here's two terms I think are really helpful. If you want to take a picture of this or even write this in your notes, I think this would be good to learn. Number one is justification. So justification is when we are made right with God through our faith in Christ. And then the second one is sanctification, which is the lifelong process of getting more free from sin and more like Christ. Now, one of the key differences between the two is justification happens in a moment. Right? Maybe it's the moment when you stood up in a service to accept Jesus Christ. Maybe it's when your friend led you to Christ uh, over coffee, or you were seven years old and your parents led you to Christ, whatever it was, in that moment, you were forgiven, you were made right, you were justified, that's what we call justification, through your faith. The second key term that's helpful to know is, is sanctification. Now, sanctification, that process, is actually gonna happen throughout your whole life. And even then, God's not gonna completely finish his work in you until your soul goes to be with the Lord someday. And here's another important differentiation. We are all, through our faith, equally justified. We are equally made right in God's eyes, but we are not all equally sanctified. So some Christians, by the time they die, look more like Jesus than other Christians. And we kind of know that, right? We don't often say it out loud, but it's true. And why is it true? It's true because those Christians are working this process of sanctification that we read about today in Colossians 3 and in other places in the scriptures. And so Paul wants his new Christians to work towards spiritual maturity. Remember we talked about that in uh, chapter two in Colossians. He does not want you to stay as a baby Christian. He wants you, and I pray that you want this, to have more and more freedom over sin and to look more and more like Jesus. But how do you do that? How do you intentionally do that? Well, I think in our passage today, we kind of get three steps from Paul. And here's the first one. Number one, part of this process is to put off or to put away your old clothes. So look at verse nine. This is a kind of a metaphor that just really carries throughout this whole section. Uh, in verse nine, Paul says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. So actually one of the main teachings of the epistles, that's the letters of the Bible, is that before you are born again, before you are made new through your faith in Jesus, all you have is what's called your old self. It's with your old clothes and your old ways of living. Remember Paul just said, some of you used to live this way. That was your BC life, your before Christ life. I like to think of it this way. Uh, there's a, a Phil Wickham song uh, called The House of the Lord. Uh, when he gets to the bridge, he's, let me sing it for you. I'm just kidding. When he, when he gets to the bridge, why are you laughing? Uh, <laughs> when he gets to the bridge, he says, we were the beggars 
but now we're royalty. And let me tell you kind of in story form what he means and specifically what the Bible means when it, it talks about old clothes and new clothes and old self and new self. It'd be kind of like this. Okay, imagine the days of old. Let's go back 500 years or so. And let's say there's a king and the king decides to come out of his castle and to go down into his city and the king finds an orphan. And let's say that orphan is a 14-year-old beggar in the shabbiest of clothes. Now, let's say that young teenage beggar actually is notorious for their behavior. They're always getting in trouble. They're gambling at an early age. They're stealing from kind old ladies and yada, yada, right? And now let's say the king comes up to that young beggar and says, I'm going to adopt you. And I want to offer you a new life, a new way of living. I want you to come into my castle. I want you to share my food. I want you to live in my safety. And most importantly, I want you to know my love as an adopted child of the king. Now, if that happened, and the orphaned, now adopted beggar came to live in the castle, would this adopted beggar continue to wear their beggar's clothes around the castle? No way, right? I, I'm, one of the first things they would do would be to you know, don the, the clothes of royalty. Now, this metaphor, it's not, it's not pitting poverty versus riches. We're talking spiritual poverty, okay? That's the beggar. The spiritual poverty of not knowing Christ versus the riches of knowing Christ. And so Paul's saying, when you become a Christian, and when you go from a beggar to a member of the king's family, you can't keep walking in the old ways anymore. You can't keep wearing your old clothes. You've got a new life now with the king. And what are those old ways? And he actually gives us some specifics here, right? There's really two categories. One we could call uh, sensual sins. The other we could call social sins. So the sensual ones are in verse five. So let's take a look. Verse five. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And here comes the list. He starts with sexual immorality. Now, that actually comes from a Greek word called pornea. It's where we get pornography. But essentially, that pornea is a really broad word for any type of sexual sin outside of sex within the Christian definition of marriage. And then the list continues, and it says impurity and lust evil desires and greed. So all of these, these are sins where our, our flesh, our carnal desires are running wild. Okay? They're the old clothes of the beggar where we're trying to find life in the passions of the flesh. And then we get a second list, that's in verse eight. And the second list is what we might call social sins. There's sins of our own interaction with other people. It's like anger, he says, and rage, malice, slander, filthy language. And Paul says to these new Christians, he says, put these off now. Put them off. You, you can't be wearing the old clothes of a beggar anymore. You're a child of a king. And there is no way, there is no way that Jesus would walk in any of these sensual or social sins. And so if we identify with him now, Okay, if we are a part of, if we represent his family, then we won't walk in those old ways anymore. They're not befitting of you anymore because you are now a child of the royal family. Now, that doesn't mean that we sometimes don't mess up because we do, right? 
We do, we do, we do. Remember, sanctification is a lifelong process, and so we're always gonna have sin, but you never, now as a child of the king, you never wanna be intentionally walking in sin. In fact, you don't even wanna ever be tolerant of sin in your own life. In fact, notice, this is really key, notice in the text how Paul talks about sin, how he tells us to treat sin. He doesn't say, and by the way, the sin you have in your life, would you just kindly remove that? I mean, if you want to, it's not how he speaks, right? Look at the beginning of verse five. Look at the language that he says. He says, put to death. That's intense, right? Put to death. As John Owen once famously said, always be killing sin or it will be killing you. And I just gotta tell you, honestly, the American church has regressed to an infant's understanding of this concept. We need to study this again. We, as an American church, we need to take sin seriously again. Otherwise, it's just gonna collectively suffocate all of us. Sin is not a plaything. I mean, look, take the sensual sins that Paul talks about in verse five. You can think of it this way. Everybody in America bows down to something, right? We all worship something. And the average American nowadays does not bow down to Jesus Christ. The average American bows down to the idolatrous statue of sex. It's what they live for. It's what they seek. Millions and millions of Americans think that they will find ultimate happiness, ultimate fulfillment, even their ultimate identity in sex. Now, let me say, sex in a godly context in marriage is a God-given thing. It can be a wonderful thing. But here's maybe a helpful metaphor for you, or I guess this is technically a simile. Sex is like fire. Now, fire is beautiful in a fireplace, right? In its proper context. But when that fire spills out to your carpet, it's not so beautiful anymore, right? And see, what Paul wants Christians to know is that if you continue to let these things in the list, things like slander and malice and anger and lust, if you continue to let them just have free reign in your brain, if you put back on those old clothes and you bring back your BC life like you used to live before Christ, then those beggar clothes will lead you back to a beggar life. And your house will be on fire again. And so I just ask you, Christian, what sin in your life are you not taking seriously right now? What sin in your life are you not taking seriously right now? What sin do you need to kill before it kills you? Because if you don't kill it, you don't put it to death, you don't get as far away from it as you possibly can, then what happens when you get, because it's a roller coaster, it's a ride, when you get into that stage of your faith where you're kind of in lukewarm complacency, what most of us do is we kind of keep those sins around. We keep those old beggar clothes just kind of hanging out in the back of our closet. But because they're still there, eventually from the back they call out to us and they say, hey, you remember those good times? we supposedly had together, and what do we do? It's still there, we left it there, we didn't put it to death, and sure enough, soon enough, there we are, kinda making sure nobody's looking. We're walking back to the, even though we live in the castle, 
we go back, we grab those beggar clothes, and we put them on. Then we walk back to the beggar life. Kill sin, or it will be killing you. I just gotta say, if you want the sanctification process to be really working in your life, you want more freedom from sin, you wanna look more like Jesus, let me give you a very practical thing you can do, even starting tonight. When you pray, try and get out of the habit of just sitting down and talking through the things that you want. One of the things that's really helpful to add to your daily prayer time is confession, and I would also add repentance. So you wanna pray things like this. You wanna get in front of the Lord and say, God, would you just show me where it is I've put back on those old beggar clothes of how I used to live? Uh, God, would you reveal that to me? Lord, would you... Would you, I just gotta confess to you that this week I put on those old beggar clothes of anger. I was so angry at my family. Would you forgive me for that? And God, now as I repent, and repentance means it's confession plus turning away. So God, now I, I repent and I, I, would you give me strength, Lord, to just walk out and show grace to them this week? Okay, that's a different way to pray. Lots of us, we don't even get to that. We're like, help me with the interview, help me with the, but you wanna connect with God on that relational level and get him to work with you and help you to put off the old clothes, okay? All right, that's step one. Now we're gonna move to step two in this sanctification process. So let's go to, back to the word. Uh, we are on uh, verse 12. Okay, so Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, so here we see the second part of the process. So number two, when the beggar enters the castle as the newly adopted child of the king, they don't just put off their old clothes. Number two, we see that they put on new clothes, right? You're putting on the new clothes. Paul is saying what we need to do now as Christians is clothe ourselves with compassion, with kindness, with gentleness, with forgiveness, all of those things. And what are those things? They are the characteristics of Christ. And if we, as Christians, Christians, that's what we are. It's like little Christ, that's what it means. If we are like him, then we wanna represent him in how we dress, and that is in our character, in how we live our lives. But to do that, to always be putting on those Christ-like clothes, I think requires a decent measure of intentionality. Uh, I, I had it explained to me years ago uh, through this way, and let me, just, let me explain it to you. Uh, it's kind of like uh, the cuckoo bird. Now the cuckoo bird uh, is a bird that's really common in England, but the thing about the cuckoo bird, uh, when the mother cuckoo is gonna lay eggs, she just flies around and looks for a nest with eggs that's not hers, and as soon as she sees one where the mother bird isn't there, she comes in, she hurriedly lays her eggs, and then she gets out of there, right? And one of the uh, places that she often will lay her eggs in the most is in the nest of a, a thrush. Now, in case you're wondering about, is this true? I, I verified all this information with our resident bird expert, Pastor Josh, and he has confirmed to me that it is all true. So Mrs. Thrush, uh, she, she eventually uh, comes back uh, to the nest. She's not very good at math and she doesn't notice. And so she just gets to work on uh, hatching the eggs and eventually all the birds hatch and the cuckoo is two to three times larger than her little thrushes. Well, 
Mama bird is doing the bird thing, so she knows the early bird gets the worm, so she goes out, she gets a worm, she comes back, and there's these four little petite thrush mouths and one cavernous cuckoo mouth, right? And guess who gets the worm? The cuckoo, and the cuckoo gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the thrushes get smaller and smaller and smaller. And In fact, bird experts apparently have a phrase in England where they say, if you ever want to find where a cuckoo is in a nest, you just walk along a hedge and you look for all the dead thrushes on the ground, because the cuckoo literally pushes out the little baby thrushes one by one by one. And of course, we have honored this excellent cuckoo bird by giving it its own uh, clock, apparently. Okay. <laughs> the moral of the, you'll never look at your cuckoo clock the same, and I'm really sorry about that. Uh, the moral of the story is essentially this, that you as a Christian have something similar to two natures in your nest. Okay, on the one hand, you have what the Bible calls the old self, with its old clothes. Often the New Testament calls that the flesh. It's our sinful nature. But when you come to Christ, there's the second thing within you. You're now the new self, you've been born again, you've been born again because the Holy Spirit, who is God, has come to live within you, and the Holy Spirit now has the power to give you victory over sin. And see, the nature that you keep on feeding, because there are two of them, just like two birds in the nest, the nature you keep on feeding with your daily choices will be the one that grows. Okay, so uh, take a work, for example. If at work, uh, slander and gossip, that can be really apparent in some work environments, right? Or maybe in some environments it's even coarse language. If that becomes a part of your daily life at work and you're feeding that every day, it's going to grow. But what if you do the opposite thing? Uh, What if every morning you start out and you say, Lord, I want to put on the new clothes. So I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, would you show me at least one person every day that I can show unique kindness to? Or what if you say, I've got to put on those new clothes of humility. So Lord, today, walking through my day, I want you to be with me, Holy Spirit. Help me go through the whole day without talking about myself. What are you doing? You're intentionally putting on new clothes. And the more you do that, the more you feed that bird, that part of your soul, the more it grows and the more you become sanctified. Now let me point something out theologically that's important. As Christians, when we're putting on new clothes, like kindness and gentleness and humility, we're not doing that just to be good. We're not doing that to earn God's love. In fact, the inverse is true. We're doing that because of God's love. And that's why I think verse 13 is really helpful if you look at it. So verse 13 says, bear with each other and forgive one another. Anybody in here think forgiveness is really easy? Oh, look, none of you. Okay, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, okay, why would we forgive? He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, this is what we like to call around here the platinum rule. It's not the golden rule, the platinum rule, that we are to treat each other like God treated us. How did he treat us? He looked at us like rebellious beggars and yet adopted us into his family forgave us, right? And so we want to forgive other people because it is absolutely astounding that he forgave us. That's our motivation to put on these new clothes. And even with that, sin, let's just be real, is still so appealing to us. It just is. So thankfully, Paul gives us another boost to this process of sanctification, and that's where we get to the third step. So let's take a look now, verse 15. He writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, 
and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the, to the Father through him. Okay, here's the third part of the process. Number three, our hearts are changed through the message of Christ. I love verse 16. It's actually maybe one of my favorite verses in Colossians. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That is, let it fill your lives. The word of God is so powerful. This book promises you that as you read it, as you bring it into your life, it will change you literally change you from the inside out. It is part of what gives you inspiration to get rid of those old beggar clothes and to put on the new royal robes. Honestly, I'll tell you, um, just as I was studying this text this week, so every week when I'm preparing to speak, a lot of my time is just spent in the text, in the passage. I'm reading it over and over. I'm praying through it. I'm studying it. And as I was reading this passage, I'm feeling in my own heart this week just a renewed passion, a renewed vigor to fight again, to put to death again my own sin. Well, if I'm not in the Bible, then that's not happening, right? And my sanctification process is stunted. But because I'm in it, I'm growing to be more like Jesus. And I think we, let's be real here, we have way too many baby Christians in this country, in part because we have been experiencing a famine of the hearing of God's word for a generation now. And the American church has got to get back to reading this every week and studying this every Sunday, and every day as Christ followers reading it ourselves. We are to let the message of Christ dwell among us richly. And Paul takes it a step further, even beyond our own kind of private devotional time. He says you also ought to let it dwell among you richly through songs, through music that you would sing out, that you would have Christian music, whether you you stream it or you listen to the radio or whatever it is, that it's just around you in your car, at your home, while you're cleaning, why? Because that truth of Christ then is inspiring you, it's motivating you throughout your entire day. And I think we just so desperately need this because our minds are so corrupt. I I always think one of the most helpful stories in the Old Testament is the story of the Israelites when they're taken out of slavery in Egypt and they're, they're out in the desert and so many of them, their minds keep lying to them. And they keep saying to Moses, you know where we'd like to be? We'd like to be back in slavery. And you read that, you're like, I'm sorry, what? But that's our minds, right? We're sitting in the castle and we think, I think I'd like to go back to being a beggar. And so we need to let the word of God dwell among us richly. Christian, you are called not to set your mind on Egypt. You are called to set your mind on the theological, biblical truth that you were a beggar. A beggar. And yet the king came out of his castle to come and adopt you, you, and bring you into his family. And not just that, he came and he brought you into his family by sacrificing his own life for you, dying for your sins on the cross. And then because of your faith 
He has ushered you into his kingdom. Well, one day you will live with him in power, in love, in hope, in glory. And one day there will be no more sadness and there'll be no more pain and there will be no more death and we will delight in him forever. Okay, do you see what I mean? If you let that sort of, what we were just talking about, if you let that sort of truth dwell in your mind richly so that you know that you know that you know that you know, then you will remember that the clothes of the king are infinitely greater than your old clothes of slavery. Let me pray. God, may we just focus on that. May you bring us back to, as a church, may you bring us back to this glorious truth of what you've done for us and what you will do for us. And God, as we focus on that, may you give us the strength to take off those old ways and to put on your new ways, ways that are befitting of you, our glorious king. And we just want to worship you for that now. In your name we pray, amen.